0: The Bible is basically the story of three trees. You know, over the past few weeks, uh, I've also told you that the Bible is basically the story of a lamb. I've also told you it was the story of a rock and it was the story of a river. Uh, I told you that the Bible is basically the story of a wedding. Each of these statements is true uh, because the Bible is crafted in such a way, and this is really one of the most amazing things about the Bible, it's crafted in such a way that there are these plot lines, these recurring themes, there are these subplots that run like threads throughout the entirety of the Bible, from the beginning all the way to the end. And, uh, and that's the reason why, uh, well, the reason that's amazing actually is because the Bible was not written by just one person who could have done all that himself. It, it wasn't even written by a group of people who knew each other. Did you know that one of the most, uh, one of the top searches on Google, one of the most Googled things is who wrote the Bible, right? I have a picture of it for you that I put up there. At least I believe you do. Yes, type in who wrote the Bible, right? People want to know, but here's the answer to that question: The Bible wasn't written by just one person. There's no easy answer to that. Uh, in fact, it wasn't even written by just like a group of people who knew each other and sat down and said, "Hey, you know, it'd be really cool if we wrote the Bible." Uh, the Bible was written by over 40 different authors at, over a period of about 1,600 years. These authors wrote in three different languages. They wrote on three different continents. Most of them never met. They they wrote as they. They were inspired by God, and the end result is that we bring all these writings together, and they come together to tell one unified, singular story. It's an amazing thing. And because the Bible was written by different people over a long period of time, these plot lines, these common themes, like I said, that, that are found throughout the various books of the Bible, they're all the more incredible. And they bear witness to the fact that indeed this book is not just the creation of man, but it is in fact inspired by God. And what's really interesting, and this has been the whole point of our series actually, is that if you take each of these plot lines and you single them out and you look at just them by themselves, their story that they tell of that particular thing, uh, like the story of the lamb, the story of the rock, the story of the river, uh, each of these in a unique way tells the story of of Jesus Christ it tells the story of the gospel it tells the story of the Bible in a little subplot in a little plot line in, in a unique way which illuminates for us part of the reason why Jesus came and what God is doing and wants to do through our lives so uh, there are so many of these by the way we, we're only looking at five or six in this series but man you could find so many and I would encourage you that as you read your Bible keep your eyes open for these plot lines that are running throughout the entirety of it. Today we are going to be doing our final study for our series in this and this is going to be called the story of the tree. The story of the tree. If you would please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We are going to be doing what we have been doing each week which is taking a journey through the Bible And looking at what the Bible has to say about this story of the tree. So in the book of Genesis, at the beginning of the Bible, you know how it begins, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the story of creation, the story of how God created the universe with just his word. He spoke it into being. And in chapter 2, we see there that at the very pinnacle of the creation, God created man and woman. And this is what we read in Genesis chapter 2 from verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So there in the Garden of Eden, right, God not only gave them everything that they needed for life, he blessed them abundantly, right? There was no good thing which he withheld from them. There was only one thing which he withheld from them, and the reason he withheld it was because it was not good for them, right? So we can say that God withheld from them no good thing. Every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food was given to them to eat. God didn't just give them sustenance. He didn't just... Helped them survive, he gave them a rich quality of life, right? No good thing did he withhold from them. One thing only did he withhold from them, and that was this. He forbade them from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because as he told them, in the day that they would eat of it, they would surely die. So here are these two trees, and they're right in the smack, dead center in the middle of the Garden of Eden, right? Every day, Adam and Eve are doing their thing, walking around, naming animals, whatever they're doing there. And they have to walk by these trees. They have to see them every single day, right? And every day, walking past these two trees, it would be this very powerful image for them that they had a choice to make. Today, as every day, they had a choice to make every single day the choice to trust God and live To obey God by faith and live or to disobey, to not trust and take their life in their own hands, right? To risk it all, right? Even if they didn't understand why, there was this option. God says, I'm not going to tell you why. I'm just going to tell you to trust me on this one and don't eat from that tree. He's got these two trees in the middle of the garden. God is essentially saying, I have laid before you life and death I have laid before you blessing and curse choose life it's like he's saying here's a glass of water and a glass of antifreeze don't drink the antifreeze okay it will kill you this is the test of our relationship it's your opportunity to learn that walking with me having a relationship with me it is all about trusting me it's all about trusting my word to you it's all about trusting my character that everything I do is because I love you every instruction I give you it's because I care about you and I love you and I want what's good for you but what happened you know the story because essentially this is the story of our lives that's why we always come back to this story because this is the story of our lives as well Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and by doing so they gained an intimate knowledge of good and evil they chose not to trust God, not to obey God by faith. They chose to rebel against God and disregard his word to them. And God had told them, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And what happened? As a result of their sin, Adam and Eve were cut off from the tree of life the tree which you eat of it and you live forever right they had been created to live forever they had been created to live forever in relationship with God but now they found themselves separated from God and cut off from the tree of life they were living life now they were left to live their lives as cursed and condemned people in a broken world and all of us, we, we live our lives, we're born into, we live our lives in this same broken world. We, we've all been born as children of these first people. Uh, we have inherited from them this terminal illness, this seed of death. And so here at the beginning of the Bible, we are faced with the problem of which the whole Bible speaks to, which it refers to. The whole thing is about this problem. The problem is, how can we get back to the tree of life? How can we get back to the tree of life? How can we be redeemed from the curse of sin and death? How do we get back into a relationship with God who created us to know him and to live forever? The story of the tree starts like this. At the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were cut off from the tree of life. Now fast forward with me, if you will, to the book of Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Now here in Exodus chapter 15, what has happened is that after 400 years of slavery in Egypt God has set the Israelites free he has delivered them from captivity he's delivered them from bondage to slavery He's set them free and if you remember how he did it he set them free by the blood of the lamb right he brought them out of Egypt he parted the Red Sea before them and they crossed over the Red Sea they left Egypt and they crossed over into the wilderness of Sinai right they were free It was glorious, it was wonderful. This is something they had been hoping for and praying for and dreaming about for generations. 400 years they were down in Egypt and they knew that Egypt wasn't their home, that God had a promised land for them. And finally, their prayers, their hopes, their dreams, it's all answered. And here in Exodus chapter 15, at the beginning of the chapter, if you look at it, the first 21 verses are this song that they sing. They're on the beach, on the other side of the Red Sea. They stop and they take a moment to sing this song of praise to God. They're elated, they're excited, they're ecstatic. But then, as oftentimes happens, the initial excitement wore off. And the reality of the new situation set in. I mean, where are they? They look around and they realize, wait a second. Uh, We're in the middle of the desert with two million people and a bunch of children and elderly people, right? Sure, it's fun to hang out on the beach and sing worship songs, but you can't stay there forever. They need to find shelter. They need to find food and water and sustenance for all these people who are with them. So we read in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, Moses made Israel then set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Okay, three days with no water. I don't know if you've ever been hiking and not taking water. I have. Uh, it's, it's a problem, right? But here's three days walking through the desert with no water. This is a problem. In fact, this is a crisis, Right? At any water they might have brought with them through the Red Sea, three days now on, it's gone. There's no water. They're, um, they're thirsty. They're marching through the desert. Now on the third day, and they're truly feeling that death is breathing down their neck. And it probably started with a few children, you know. Mommy, I'm thirsty. Is there something to drink? And then It built up and more children and then it wasn't just children it became this chorus of groaning can you imagine this chorus of groaning right people thirsty a multitude of thirsty people marching through the desert wondering how long it's gonna be before people start dropping like flies right and then on the third day a rumor begins to spread through their midst water there's water ahead, right? The people in the front of the group had seen it up ahead, had seen it on the horizon, and, and the report quickly spread to everyone. There's water, water up ahead. And as you can imagine, there must have just been this great stampede of people running to the water that they desperately need that they desperately long for and so they get to this lake they're in the middle of nowhere right in the middle of the wilderness you can imagine they're just running into the water they're diving in but then guess what they come up spitting and sputtering right because the water is bitter it's bitter water they're so thirsty and they get to this place where the water's not even drinkable In verses 23 and 24, there in Exodus 15, they came to Marah, but they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? What an interesting story, right? God uh, answers these people's prayers. He's had. 400 years to plan this out really and of course all of eternity before that but God answers their prayers and he leads them out of captivity in Egypt only to lead them on this march through the desert and when they finally do get to some water it's not even potable water right they must have been wondering God what's going on did we go left when you told us to go right did we mess it up are we did we get off track what what's happening I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You've stepped out and you've followed God. It, it all seemed glorious and amazing. You were so hopeful and excited about this new stage, this new journey that God was leading you on, but then you get there and it's hard. It's really hard, actually. It's incredibly hard. You've been expecting a promised land experience and all you got was wilderness, right? Or how about this? Maybe you've had your own Mara type of experience, a situation, a relationship, a job, maybe even a ministry, which you expected to be cool and refreshing, only to find it bitter, not what you thought it would be. You know, we cannot overemphasize here what a great disappointment this must have been for these people. What a great letdown, a huge letdown, the bitter waters of Marah were for the people of Israel. And I think that we can all relate to this because we've all had situations in our lives that have been bitter disappointments, bitter disappointments. And you wonder, why would God let this happen? Why would he let them get to the point of utter exhaustion and dehydration only to lead them to bitter waters. You know one of the things I think is that I think God allows us to suffer bitter disappointments so that we will understand that this life is not the final stop, right? That we we so we will long for something beyond this life because truly this life is a mixture of sweetness and bitterness. But if there were no bitterness, we wouldn't long for heaven. But I think that's not the only reason God led them to bitter waters. Check this out. In verse 25, it says this. Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he cast the tree into the waters, and the water was made sweet. The waters are bitter. The people are disappointed, but not only that, these people are dying, literally, of thirst, and so God shows Moses this tree. Now, the tree's been there all along, but God opens his eyes to see that which was already there. And the Lord tells Moses, cast this tree into the bitter waters and when he casts it in, the waters become sweet. Remember, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the story of the tree. At the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were cut off from the tree of life. But here in the wilderness, right, we see another picture of a tree. This is the tree which is cast into the bitter waters, which brings healing to the bitterness and gives life to the people. Verse 26, God tells them what the whole point of this experience was, why he designed this actually to be a practical lesson for them. And he says, here's the lesson, here's what it's all about in verse 26. He says, I am the Lord, your healer. Other translations say, I am the Lord who heals you. This is what he was bringing them out there to teach them. See, the wilderness is a place of learning. If you're in a wilderness place in your life, you need to know the wilderness is where you learn all the lessons. That's what we see for so much of Israel's history, right? Just as God healed the bitter waters of Marah in the same way God would heal their bitterness, God would bring healing to the bitterness in their lives and he will heal the bitterness in our lives as well how did he do it he did it by casting the tree into the bitter waters it was by casting the tree into the bitter waters that they were healed and made sweet now we're going to return to that in just a minute and and make some application but but before that i want you to turn with me again to the book of numbers numbers chapter 21 Now this first story I told you in Exodus 15, that happened at the very beginning, like literally the first three days of their wandering in the wilderness. Here in Numbers 21, we are actually looking at the final weeks. I mean, this is at the very end. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. The first generation who was in the wilderness, they've all died off. We're talking new generation about to enter into the promised land. 40 years later, and here's what happens. Uh, Again, at this Yeah, here's what happens. Let's just read it. Uh, Chapter 21, Numbers, and I'm going to start in verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread." Okay, for 40 years, they've been in the wilderness. For 40 years, you remember that food that they had in the wilderness? It was manna, right? God gave them manna to eat every day in the wilderness. Now, manna, uh, it seems, was quite nutritious, but not very delicious. I tend to think that it was probably kind of like tofu, right? Like, you can eat it and not die, but nobody is excited about it, right? Like, even vegetarians are like, man... I don't even like this stuff. I've been eating it for forty years, and my soul loathes this worthless food. Right? Um, I mean, there's only so many things you can do with manna. Right? I mean, you got like manna burgers and uh, manna soup, manna You can make. Uh, it's my favorite is manna and uh, and so you know. But you get sick of it after a while. After a while, that's enough manna. Right? You're ready to move on. You're ready to eat some uh, some honey and you know some other stuff in the you know, some grapes the size of basketballs and stuff like this, all the stuff that's waiting for them in the promised land. So they start to complain. And they say, you know what? This stinks. This is enough. I grew up eating this stuff. I'm ready. I hate this stuff. And I don't care, God, if this is your plan for it. I hate it. This is terrible. Yeah, you provided for our needs. Thanks. Great. But we hate this. We hate this worthless bread. Thanks for nothing, right? Well, check out what happens next. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed to the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So first of all, notice this. These people had sinned, and they needed to repent. Now, how had they sinned? Well, they had sinned by griping. Interesting, right? They sinned by griping, by not appreciating what God had done for them, how God had lovingly provided for them and cared for them over all of those years. You know, in Deuteronomy, it says that in all their years in the wilderness, their feet never swelled. Now, the reason that's interesting is because swelling of feet is a sign of malnutrition. And that means this, that, yeah, the manna wasn't the, you know, tastiest food in the world, and they didn't have any spices to put on it, but they never lacked, right? They were never undernourished. So anyway, they are not appreciating that, and, and I just want to say this. We're coming up on Thanksgiving this week, and we need to kind of keep this in mind that everything we have is by the grace of God, and there is a point where complaining and griping and grumbling and not being thankful for what God has done for you and given you, that's actually sinful. That's where these guys were at. So these poisonous snakes come into the camp, and they bite the people. And the people are crying out to God, they're repenting of their sin, and God tells Moses, here's the way that the people are going to be healed from the bite of the snake. I want you to make a serpent out of bronze, and I want you to nail it to a pole, and I want you to lift that pole up high in the air. And anyone who has been bitten by a snake, if they will look upon that bronze serpent, they will be healed. Bizarre story, right? Just like, what? Right? I mean, what's up with this bronze serpent and, and why isn't it enough for the people to just repent, right? Why isn't it enough for them to just apologize and turn from their ways? God could have healed them if they just repented, right? Why do we need the snake? What's up with the bronze serpent nailed to a wooden pole held on display for all to see in order to be healed? Well, fast forward with me again. This is where we started, by the way. Gospel of John chapter three. And let's read that again just to... Uh, just to make it clear what's going on here there's this interesting story here that we read at the beginning it's the story of a man named Nicodemus who comes to meet Jesus in the middle of the night see we read there in the text in the first verse that Nicodemus was a leader amongst the Pharisees and he was a ruler of the Jews in other words he was a, an important man he was a connected man he was political he was you know higher up religiously in their in their religious hierarchy and he comes to meet Jesus in the middle of the night now why in the middle of the night well because Nicodemus doesn't want anybody to see him meeting with Jesus, right? He's interested in Jesus. He's interested in Jesus's message, Jesus's teachings. He's intrigued by Jesus, but he's worried that if other people see him hanging around Jesus, they're going to label him and think that he's one of them, you know, one of those Jesus freaks. So here's Nicodemus. He's, he's meeting with Jesus under the cover of the night, and Nicodemus says there in In John chapter three, verse two, he says, I know that you must be somebody from God because you are performing miracles and nobody could do the things that you're doing unless God had sent him. So Jesus comes back and tells Nicodemus, he says, truly I say to you, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I know you came here to talk about miracles, but I wanna talk about something more important. I wanna talk about why I actually came. I didn't just come to do miracles. I came to do something more significant than that. I came so that you might be born again. And Nicodemus is like, born again? You know, this is crazy talk, right? What are you talking about? How can somebody be born again? And Jesus explains it to him like this. And this is where I want you to pay attention. John chapter 3, 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, remember that? Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many of you can recite John 3.16, right? You've heard it, you've seen it written Like, if you ever drive up I-25, it's spray-painted on something, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But did you know that John 3.16 was spoken in the context of the story of the serpent we just read in Numbers chapter 21. The bronze serpent nailed to a pole, lifted high so that whosoever "...had been bitten by a snake, whosoever had been poisoned and cursed to death, if they would look upon the snake in faith, they would be healed and made well and they would live." In other words, that scene from Numbers 21, that strange story, that bizarre story of of the poisonous snakes coming and biting the people so that they began to die, but then God provides a way for them to be saved, a bronze serpent attached to a wooden pole hoisted up in the air, so that anyone who not only repents, that, that by itself wasn't enough, right? Not only repent, but look with faith upon the bronze serpent, they would be healed and they would live. You know what Jesus said there to Nicodemus? He said, hey, remember that story? That weird story? We always, Everybody thought that was a strange story. Guess what? That story is about me. Jesus is saying, that is the story of me right? That's a picture of the gospel. The story of the snake is the story of all of our lives. It's the story of my life. It's the story of your life. All of us have sinned. We've all been bitten by the snake, right? Remember in Genesis, the snake is a picture of Satan, right? We've all been poisoned. We've all been cursed. We've been condemned to die. But God, in his great love for us, he provided a way for us to be saved. Jesus Christ nailed to a tree, lifted up, So that anyone who would look to the cross, who would look with faith upon Jesus Christ on the cross, his death for our sins, they would be healed. They would not perish, but they would live. They would be set free from the curse of sin and death. And what's the significance of the bronze? Why bronze? Well, actually, if you do a little research, you find that in this area, there was a lot of bronze mining at that time. And the bronze from this area was dark red in color. Jesus, as he, as he hung upon the cross of Calvary, he too was dark red in color, stained from blood from the, from the beating he had received. The Bible tells us that by his stripes, we are healed. Why a serpent? Because Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, in the New Testament, the cross is referred to as a tree a number of times. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. In Galatians 3, it says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. The story of the tree at the beginning i I told you that the bible is basically the story of three trees right the tree of life the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of calvary we were created to know god and live forever we were created to eat from the tree of life but because we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we were cut off from the tree of life we were bitten by the snake and the result was bitterness poison a death sentence and the great question that we faced at the beginning of the bible at the beginning of the sermon was what how do we get back to the tree of life how can we get back to the tree of life how can we be redeemed from the curse of sin and death how can we get back to a relationship with God who created us to know him and live forever the answer to that question is found in the tree of calvary it's found in the tree of Calvary. That tree of Calvary, the tree which we cast into the bitter waters of this life and it heals the bitterness and makes the bitter water sweet. The tree of Calvary to which the Savior was nailed, which it was lifted up so that all who would look on it and see, all those who had been bitten and cursed and poisoned by the snake, that they may look to it and receive healing and life. Because on that tree he took upon himself our terminal illness our sickness he took upon himself the bitterness of sin he took upon himself the poison and the curse so that he might remove it from us that we might be healed and live in the very last chapter of the Bible the very last chapter of the Bible Revelation chapter 22 we read this at the end of all things this is the scene right chapter 22 Revelation last chapter in your Bibles the angel showed me the river Through the tree of life, we can be, I'm sorry, through the tree of Calvary, we can be reunited with the tree of life and the presence of God forever. So that's all interesting, right? It's cool how it all fits together. But what does that mean for you and me who are here today? What is that? How does that affect the rest of our day? How does that affect next week? How does that affect the rest of our lives? Well, first of all, here's what it means for you. If you're here today you need to look to Jesus. You need to look to Jesus to put your faith in him as savior of your soul and Lord of your life. That is how you will be saved. That is how you will be healed from the curse of sin and death. That is the way that you can have eternal life. But what about those of us who have already done that? We've looked upon the cross. We've put our faith in him. We've been born again. What does this mean for you? If that's you, if you're already a Christian, well, here's what it means. And this is so key to living the Christian life. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Colossians 2, verse 6, Paul the Apostle says this. He says, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in him. In other words, in the same way that you received him, so walk. Carry on in him, so continue in him in the same way. How do you receive Christ? How did you receive Christ? You received Christ when you looked with faith upon the tree of Calvary by casting the tree of Calvary into the bitter waters, right, of your life. Well, Colossians 2.6 says in the same way that you receive Jesus, that is the way that you also continue to walk in Jesus. That's the way that you grow as a Christian by doing the same thing. That's the key to the Christian life. That's why we always come back to the gospel. We like to consider ourselves here at Whitefields a gospel-centered church. What that means for us is that we're not here to give you tips and strategies for how you can do a do-it-yourself, make your life better. Our goal is to present to you Jesus Christ and him crucified so that you may look to him and that is not only the way that you're saved, but it's the way that you grow in every area of your life. It's the way that you're healed from the bitterness in every area of your soul. Is there bitterness in your life? Do you struggle with bitterness in your heart, maybe towards another person? Do you have bitter regrets? Have you experienced bitter disappointment? The solution for you is the same solution as it was for the children of Israel at the bitter waters of Mara. You need to cast the tree of Calvary into the bitter waters of your life, into every area of bitterness in your life. And just as the tree healed the waters and made them sweet in the wilderness, if you will bring the tree of Calvary, the cross of Jesus Christ, into your situation, the power, it has the power to bring healing. has the power to bring sweetness to those places where there has been bitterness. For example, if you struggle with bitterness towards another person, the way to heal that bitterness is to bring the tree of Calvary into that situation. You know why? Because on the tree of Calvary, every offense, every offense, every hurtful thing that that person did against you, Jesus took it upon himself. And you know what he said? He said it is finished. It's finished. He bore the weight of that sin. He drank the bitter water of that sin, even that sin which was committed against you, and he declared, it's finished. It's done. And that statement, it's finished, that doesn't only apply to the sins that you've committed against other people. It also applies to sins that people have committed against you. Did you know that in the Old Testament sacrificial system, when they would make atonement through the blood of a lamb, right? The way they would do it is that they would name, they would speak out every sin individually. They would declare it, right? And then after it was atoned for by the blood of the lamb, it was in essence, wiped away, paid for once and for all. That's what the cross of Calvary means for you and me. It means that we can actually let go of bitterness towards other people because Jesus paid the price for that sin. It was dealt with. Not just your sin, but other people's sins as well. That means that you can let go. You can move on. You can let go of what's been done to you because Jesus took those offenses upon himself on the cross and it is indeed finished. You can Let go of the bitterness. Ultimately, bitterness in our lives, you know what it does? It it doesn't do anything but poison us from the inside. If you will bring, though, the cross of Jesus Christ and see that he has truly dealt with sin once and for all, that it truly is finished, you can let go of bitterness towards other people because of how they've offended you. What about bitter disappointments? Have you suffered bitter disappointments? If you have suffered bitter regrets, you say, you know what? I so regret what I've done, I've blown it. Here's what you do. Cast the tree of Calvary into that situation because the cross of Jesus Christ, you know what it is? It's the ultimate proof that God loves you and that he is for you. That he is able and he is willing to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's able to redeem bitter regrets. He's able to bring sweetness out of bitter disappointment. In order to be healed, in order to, make, to be made whole, in every area of our lives, we need to look to Jesus, the serpent nailed to the pole and held up for us to see. In the same way that you received him, so walk in him. You look to him in order to be saved. That's the same thing that you must do each and every day as you walk with him. Look to the cross. And here's the practical takeaway for you guys today. Bring the cross of Calvary and all of its implications into every situation, every relationship in your life. He loved you. The cross is the proof of that. Love others, right? He forgave you. The cross speaks of that. Forgive others. He died for your sins that you would no longer be a slave to sin. So walk in freedom and liberty it's finished. Every day look to the cross and receive healing and life. Look to the cross, the place where Jesus took your curse upon himself in order to provide a way for you back to the tree of life in the presence of God forever. And there's one last thing I'd like to say, one more part of this story of the tree that I'd like to share with you. In Psalm 1, the first psalm, we read this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Here's what happens to you if you're a person who spends every day looking unto Jesus. You will become like a tree planted by streams of living water. Now think about that image. Strong, healthy, fruitful, and full of leaves. That's what I want you to be. Full of leaves. You know why? You know what leaves do? Leaves provide shade. And you know what shade does? Shade provides relief from the heat. Think about how Nice, that would be in the wilderness of life, right? Relief from the heat. It it provides refreshment for the weary. And that is the kind of person that you will be if you walk every day in the same way that you received him. If you walk in Christ the same way that you received Christ, by looking to the tree of Calvary, by casting the tree of Calvary into the bitter areas of your life, you will become like this, like a tree planted by streams of living water, fruitful healthy and a person who is a place of relief and refreshment to the weary and that's my prayer for you today that this day and every day you would look upon Jesus crucified for you that you would bring the cross of Calvary into every area of bitterness in your soul so that you would not only be healed and made whole but so that you could even become A tree planted by streams of living water giving refuge and refreshment to the weary. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are that for us, Lord. You are a refuge. You are a refreshment from the the weariness of this world, Lord. For weary people, we can come to you. All of us who are heavy heavy laden and burdened, we can come to you and receive refreshment. Lord, make us those kinds of people. Help us to look to the cross this day and every day. And Lord, I pray for all those situations. Each of our lives, Lord, there are these situations that we need to bring the cross into. There are these bitter waters that we need to cast the tree of Calvary into that they might be made sweet. And Lord, we pray that you would do that work in our lives. I pray if there's anyone here today who has not yet made a decision for Jesus Christ and said, I will follow him, Lord, today would you move upon their heart that they would look to you on the cross, that they would see your love for them, that they would see the forgiveness that you're offering them. And Lord, that you would move their heart and you'd save their soul. In Jesus' name, amen.